cleared up. What I want more than anything is just a horse that won't quit. There's no way he finishes. I owe him the chance. Get up. I'm Tim Finley, and this is To Live With Honor. Chapter 18. Battle of Man. Maybe the ultimate wound is the one that makes you miss the war you got in. Sebastian Younger. When the Athenians landed at Troy, the Trojans turned to their champion Hector. Hector was known for thousands of miles as one of the greatest warriors on the planet at a time when most couldn't name one person in the next village over. Hector embodied all the bold qualities required of a legendary hero. Perhaps his single greatest asset, though, and perhaps the one most overlooked, was Andromache. What was Andromache? The question is not what, but rather who. Andromache was Hector's wife. Translated, Andromache means battle of man. Historians revere her as not only the quintessential wife, but also a liberated woman of both power and influence. The ancient poet Ovid praised her devout love and her loyalty to Hector. She empowered him. She wrapped him in love, provided strategic counsel, bathed him before each battle, and even applied the armor to his body. Andromache waited for Hector. But maybe that's not all she was. Andromache means battle of man. Maybe her name implied she was imbued with the ferocity of a fighting man. Maybe it meant she inspired the warrior in Hector's heart. Then again, maybe battle of man doesn't mean any of that. Maybe behind closed doors, she and Hector scrapped like feral dogs. Maybe she swung on him, and maybe he screamed at her. Maybe the man called to such intensity of service couldn't leave it on the battlefield, and maybe she wouldn't let him. In the end, Andromache begs Hector not to go out into battle, but he goes anyway to face Achilles. In his final words, Hector begs Achilles for an honorable funeral. The short of it, that request was not granted. Take all this metaphor for what it's worth. I only know the legend, and no one knows the real truth. But what I do get from both the legend and the potentially worst truth is that at their best, they would have deserved each other. So too then, at their worst. What I appreciate about the archetypal value of a drama key is that by way of the two deserving each other in any light, she serves as the mirror reflecting the authentic Hector and not just some man of poetry or legend. And if she is the immovable battle of man, then in reflection, Hector becomes the unstoppable man of battle. But in that, was Hector the honorable hero of legend? 
Or was he in truth a warrior so skilled because he was actually just a man with a fighting addiction? The mission of the AWACS is an important one. What is the AWACS? Imagine a passenger aircraft with a spinning UFO bolted to the top. That disc spins around with an enormous radar inside of it. Inside the cabin, a skilled team pieces their talents and roles together to play the chess masters in the sky. Controllers direct the air war as each aircraft and its unique capabilities are brought to bear upon the enemy. In the American fighting system that leverages air power as a primary means of projecting power, the command and control of that air power is pivotal. The job isn't for everyone, though. For a man wrapped tight around the axle of conflict, who sharpens his fangs on a whetstone of vengeance, there is not much sex appeal at 30,000 feet. But if this was my only opportunity to get in the fight, I would burn both candle ends until I was the best air-to-ground controller on the planet. I learned as much as I could as fast as my brain would absorb it. I devoured every word on how to execute close air support, or CAS as it's known. I memorized aircraft and bomb capabilities. I obsessed over it. Alas, by 2012 and 2013, in our area of operations, or AO, in Afghanistan, much, if not all, the major fighting had subsided. Security was the name of the fight. There were no mad dashes to provide air cover for friendlies pinned down in a firefight. There were no scrambles to get aircraft overhead. There was no great war to be had. There were no lives to be saved or avenging to exact. There were no heroes to be made. The monotony of the missions felt like Chinese water torture, a slow drip, 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 until sanity goes on leave. I distracted myself with honor videos and photos that Missy sent. I was not alone in failing morale. It was cold back home, and Missy was sick. But Honor got stronger and faster. Honor came barreling toward the camera, hooves flailing as if hanging onto the earth for dear life. Dirt spat out from eggbeater legs. He grew larger in the video, charging toward the camera as well as the turn. David crouched astride him as his weight tilted going into the turn full bore. Honor's back right hoof slipped unable to do the math of it all. Sliding out toward the camera, his rump collapsed to the red dirt. Momentum drove his body forward. Honor grunted in anger and pushed the earth away to keep himself upright. In less than a stride, Honor sprang back atop motoring legs as if nothing had happened. He doesn't know his own speed, Missy texted. I couldn't get past the look on Honor's face as he righted himself. There was no fear in his eyes. Only the frustration of not being able to go faster. The videos compensated only so much. The tedious schedule and vapid job chipped away at my optimism and left me with a mindful of bitter sludge. Without knowing it, I vanished from Missy. I became a hermit rotting away one day at a time. At home, sick, cold, worried, and lonely, Missy watched with sullen eyes as I reconstructed old fences. The phone buzzed next to me on the tiny mattress. The glow from the phone's screen illuminated the claustrophobic cubicle of bedsheets, parachute cord, wall lockers, and duct tape. I cracked one eye to read the message. 
It said, I thought you were going to call. My brain snapped out of its sleepy fog with a single heartbeat. The words read identical to the ones the day prior, words I never acknowledged. We were four months into a six-month deployment. I wish they made brain software that new husbands could download on how to husband better. We hadn't been married even a year and the honeymoon phase was a sunset in the rear view. Deployment days sort of wash together in a weird ooze of time where it somehow doesn't flow right. Two weeks ago feels like yesterday, and yesterday feels like a few minutes ago, and tomorrow feels like decades away. On top of that, when flying missions starting at 3 in the morning and spending 13 hours in a windowless, sunless tube, time ceases to really mean anything at all. What you're left with is the assumption that time still exists, it just doesn't apply to you while you're in your desert prison. It's not that it's easy to be a terrible husband on deployment. It's that it's hard to be a good one. The AWACS mission isn't exactly an exciting one. Watching little green dots swarm around a black screen for hours doesn't really stir the souls of men. The psychological wear of the droll mission was a monotonous prison sentence that doomed my morale. And time at home had ticked just as slow. I hadn't the opportunity to even respond to Missy's message when the next one flashed across the screen. I knew it was coming, and I knew it was too late to fix it. She texted, I can't keep doing this, Tim. I didn't need to see her face to know she was crying. I texted back, I'm sorry, I was just too damn exhausted after this mission. You see, fences come with excuses. I've heard that texting doesn't convey tone. That's a lot of crap. Text does more than convey tone. It amplifies whichever tone is most toxic. I continued on. Plus, by the time I got back, I knew it would be after you went to sleep. I didn't want to wake you. Immediately, she responded, That's bullshit, Tim. I told you. I will always wake up and answer the phone. We don't have to talk for hours, but I need to see your face. I need to hear you. I need my husband. Exclamation mark. The cell phone's glow lit my soured features as anger warped my face. Sharing close quarters with three other people makes outbursts and arguments impossible. I wanted to smash the phone against the bedpost. I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs just to vent the futility and frustration. I squeezed the phone, trying to choke it. I jumped up out of the tiny bed and pulled on shorts and a t-shirt. I slipped my sneakers on and walked to the Thirsty Camel, the open-air commons area and bar, in the academic sense. It was also the location of the best Wi-Fi service. If I had to guess, I would say it was two in the morning. Guessing at time was all I could do. I found a secluded corner tucked away in the shadows where I could talk to Missy in relative privacy. I knew what was coming and picked up my spear and shield. I initiated a video call with Missy. The phone jingled in my earbuds a couple of times, and the screen opened to a sobbing blonde, collecting herself with quick hand wipes under her eyes. Hey. Hey. I couldn't tell if she hid anger or love. I'm sorry, I just really wanted to sleep. It was anger. Sleep? I know. How was it? What's it like? Because I'm not getting any of it. Tim, I'm not asking for the world. 
I'm asking for a few minutes with my husband. I'm falling apart because you're not lifting a finger. I've been so sick. Do you even care? I know everyone else is calling and talking to their wives and girlfriends. What hurts is, it's like you just don't want to make time. You'd sooner play games or go to sleep or just pretend I don't even exist. Do you see how that hurts? I gritted my teeth trying to contain the boil. I have to put on this happy mask everywhere I go because everyone's so proud of you and they all miss you and they all talk about how wonderful you are and all I can think is... All I can think is how? How can they think this? The cork popped and a fountain of rage came out. What is there to be proud of? We're not doing a fucking thing. I drill a hole in the sky. Everybody's so bubbly and happy and having a great time. I'm fucking miserable. It's like everyone else is so perfectly satisfied with this farce of a mission. We fly for 13 hours and maybe talk to two jets. We aren't even controlling anything. We're supposed to control aircraft. And everyone on the jet claims we do, but I'm the lead controller. And I haven't controlled a single fucking cast mission in two months. This job requires no courage. It just requires me to be a prisoner in some ungrateful foreign country and burn six months of my life I can never have back. I don't want to talk to you because I don't have anything happy to say. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm right here! Tears cut streams down Missy's cheeks. It doesn't have to be like this. I'm your wife. I'm here! We're supposed to be here for each other! You don't understand. You can't understand. This isn't the job for me. I'm out of place and I'm stuck. In this career I thought I dedicated my life to, the career I thought carried some sort of honor with it, it has none. And I'm chained to it. What do you mean? You love your job. I don't get it. We're not doing our job. We're just flying around in a circle, blasting our radar. There's no fight here. There's no foxholes here. No danger, no risk, no honor. I can't reconcile how everyone is so proud of what we do. We don't do or fight anything. Is that what this is all about? You want to be shot at? You want to risk your life? She trailed off, biting back sobs. You want to risk me? Yes! Maybe I believed it. Maybe I didn't. But honest anger cracked a door open in my mind. Why would you want that, Tim? You promised you would always come home. Why can't it be enough? Why is nothing ever enough? Her sobs subsided as she gathered her faculties. When Missy stops crying, that's when it gets serious. I can't do it, Tim. I won't be with a man who won't make his wife, won't make me a priority. I'm not being unreasonable. I'm simply asking you to be my husband, and you're still hellbent on chasing ghosts. I really thought we were past this. You never had to prove anything, Tim. I always believed you were an honorable man. I always believed you were a hero. But you weren't looking for honor, and what you were doing is not heroic. I need to go. It's called the Deployment Wall. 
one side can never see nor understand what occurs on the other side. The moment a serviceman leaps the wall for deployment, the lack of vision and context distorts the mind of both relationship halves. Unchecked, the deployment wall warps into an acute case of deployment brain. Deployment brain is where an otherwise rational, intelligent person believes, to his core, the worst of what is, what could be, or what was. Deployment brain lies, because it's rooted in fear, and fear is a liar. Our crew rested on a day off. My brain didn't. I moped back and forth between the pitch dark of a windowless dorm room and the smoking tent located several hundred meters away. It was the repetitive walking, not the smoking, that offered the solace. Twice that day, I returned to the stairs leading to the room, only to perform an about-face and go right back to the tent. Thoughts came in cadence with my steps. The sun set atop the western wall of the compound, scorching the sky in an orange haze. My Kansas State hoodie reeked of smoke from a day burned away with uncountable flicks of cigarette ash. I approached the tent at the smoking area and had a seat on one of the metal great picnic tables. I sat alone staring at dusty slippers. So Sart was like, where the fuck is Halsey? I'm like, dunno Sart, haven't seen him since chow. And then his naked ass comes waltzing in, schlong blowing in the breeze. And I'm like, Sart, I found him. A group of four army Joes bantered as they approached the tent. Wait, you're the one that took his towel and gave it to the TCN? Just trying to be helpful. Fucked up, man. He spilled his oil can working on the HVAC. Hey, it's the horse guy. Hey, man, you gotta tell these guys the story. The mouthpiece of the group was a smoke pit regular. Most of the regulars already knew Honor's story, and it served as a distraction for them as much as me. The Joes surrounded me at the table, youthful and brash, and faces lit by the good humor of deployment commiseration. I admired their humor. It served as an affront to their circumstances. The mouthpiece turned to the soldier to his right, diagonal across from me. Remember that shit I was saying about that dude with the horse? This is him. He turned back to me, motioning to his friend with his cigarette as a pointer. Dude, you gotta tell him this shit. He, he's one of those hippie fucks that cries at Disney movies. Bambi triggers his PTSD. Go fuck yourself, Spaghetti. <laughs> I'd hate to put you on the spot like that. Nah, go ahead, man. I'm not bunking with his ass. But seriously, this is some crazy shit. He, he's got pictures and video, man. It's legit. Probably talking to the next Seabizquick or whatever. Biscuit, you fucking moron. Yeah, that, whatever. Man, that movie was a load of crap. See, man, I told you, this shit is nuts. Then let him fucking tell it. The movie said he was a hand shorter than he was. They said War Admiral was a hand taller than he was. And they made Seabiscuit out to be some thrown away, broken shit horse with no future. None of that's true. They trumped his injury up like it was a death knell. It's all a load of crap. Seabiscuit was a great horse. And his injury was not that bad. To compare Honor's story with that, that's an insult to Honor. Your horse's name is Honor? Yeah. Sounds like some shit Sergeant Major named his horse, tossing out knife hands in the saddle. It beats being named after a muffin or whatever. You'll have to excuse us. We're air defenders. I think it's a good name. Where'd you get it? I inhaled on my cigarette and smiled. I looked down. I remembered a younger man holding a wrinkled parchment in a sweltering auction house. 
The man was younger, a little by age, but much by life. The things I could tell that man. I didn't get it. He came with it. Seabiscuit's a great story. It really happened, and it really is a tremendous bit of history, but it was not a miracle. Your story's a miracle? I froze and casted a blank stare into the eyes of a young man not sensing the gravity of the massive orbiting celestial bodies around us. I remembered my arrogance months before thinking it was my miracle. My story? My story? No, he was the one that should have been dead. He fought, he battled, he lived. I fought nothing but ghosts and my stupid pride. Tightness cramped my chest. My neck flushed as I stifled any reaction. I broke my stare and stalled with another pull on my cigarette. I remembered a bullet with black letters on it. It's not my story. As the same celestial orbs waltzed faster, I remembered the angry colt who refused kindness and love and lashed when someone came close. Stop running! I remembered how he set himself free, how he chose it. I swear to God he knows, like he gets it and he's thankful. He would have never left the pasture, never survived, never raced, never found or filled his purpose, never lived. Well, whose fucking story is it? Yours, when you need it. Look, look, sorry to cut this short, gents, but I just remembered something. I'll catch you guys here next time. Don't spoil it for Disney, Rigetti. I took my phone out from my pocket and plugged in my earbuds. The crunch of sandy concrete beneath my slippers faded behind the sound of ringing chimes in my earbuds. Back home, on the other side of the deployment wall, the same sun just on the other side of my horizon was thawing out the February frost in Oklahoma. The phone rang a second and third time. No answer. On the fourth ring, the screen opened to a mess of bundled overalls and scarves with two eyes. She was a female version of Ralphie's little brother in A Christmas Story arms barely movable from all the layers. Can we talk? Yeah, sure. Let me go inside before my nose falls off. Feeding in the winter sucks. I'm just glad honor is at the race barn and not here. That's ten minutes less I have to spend in this nonsense. That's what it is. Nonsense. Nowhere should ever be this cold. I'm sure it's sunny in 75 there. The video background changed as she walked in the back door, disrobing one layer after the next without end. How many layers are you wearing? Eight, I think. I stopped counting. The cold hurts my face. I smiled. Despite the cold that bit at her nose, being outside with the horses always warmed her humor. How are the horses? They're fluffy. They look like woolly mammoths. They've been having fun. Romping in the snow we got last week. But they're not as happy as Honor has been. Apparently. What do you mean? 
As you know, David trains quarter horses and Honor is his only thoroughbred. Well, Honor isn't being a very good ambassador for his breed. He's David's hardest keeper. He eats twice as much as any horse in the barn, bucks like a wild man in a stall when David comes to get him, and David says he has trouble holding him back on the track. David's still not sure how much talent Honor has, but from what he's saying, Honor wants it more than any horse he has. <laughs> so he's enjoying it? She glared at the camera. Yes, he loves it. And then she looked away and cloaked a smile. He's still all legs and no ass. Still doesn't know what to do with all that open ground in front of him. He thinks he's pretty fast. Who, David? No, Honor. <laughs> Mom says I'm a racehorse. He is. He's going to be a superstar. Sure. Just as soon as he learns how to untangle his legs and get along better with fences. I remembered why I called, but the organic happiness growing from our conversation was precisely what I wanted. I sprinkled more warmth on that smile. Did you get any new video from last week? Yeah, hold on, I'll send it to you. The screen froze a moment as she backed out of the video call and emailed me the file. The screen once again came alive. You should get it in a minute. In the meantime, I have a confession to make. I've been debating on how to say this. The lighthearted conversation took a dour tone and my stomach squeezed. Is this it? Is this where she drops it on me? I don't know how to say it. So I'm just going to say it and let the chips fall where they may. I shivered. I blew up the tree in the backyard. Wait, what? I did it, and I accept full responsibility. What? On New Year's, I wanted to celebrate in my own special way. So I went and bought a cigar. What? You don't even smoke. So? Shush. Let me finish. I bought a cigar because that's what people do on New Year's Eve, right? Then I went to that fireworks warehouse on 35 and bought one of those big 2B shooter guys. I figured I'd sit on the back porch, smoke a cigar, and light off a firework. Why not, right? Because America. I got all bundled in pajamas and bathrobe and went out on the back porch and I lit up the cigar, didn't inhale because the guy at the cigar shop said I wasn't supposed to, just swish it around or some stuff. He didn't say that the cigar would make me feel half drunk. <laughs> it sounds like you didn't need any help. Stop interrupting. So I'm smoking the stogie. Which is fun to say, not really realizing how loopy I was. And I decide now is a great time to ring in the new year by setting all of Choctaw on fire. I didn't want to walk out from the porch because, let's face it, it's fucking cold. I set up the firework on the edge of the back porch and propped it a little bit at an angle on top of one of your shoes and aimed it out at the back of the property. I lit it with my cigar and, well, surprise, it went off. It went off right into the top of the dead tree. The top of the tree exploded like in that episode of Band of Brothers when all the artillery is blowing up the forest. The whole top half, sort of, caught on fire when all the sparkly things did their sparkly thing. I panicked. I didn't know if I should call the fire department or let it burn. It is a dead tree, after all. But I was wasted from the cigar, so my panic was pretty mellow. So instead, I just kind of said, whatever. I guess what I'm trying to say is, 
I blew up the tree, and now the top half is gone. I'm sorry. I don't know if you had any sentimental attachment to it, but I blew it up. I was dying. <laughs> oh my God. Here, here's a photo. Yeah, so that happened. I killed your dead tree. My phone buzzed with a picture text. I opened it up. Beset against a dreary gray sky and empty oaks stood a shattered, decrepit, lifeless, leafless tree alone in the backyard. Broken, sorrowful branches hung one on top of another in a disheveled, destructed mess. <laughs> Please don't take this attack on the tree as being in any way reflective of my feelings for you. And I don't think I want to smoke another cigar for a while. Maybe we can save that for another time when I'm under adult supervision. I'm glad you're not mad. I was worried. I like hearing you laugh, though. It makes things here a little easier. I collected my laughs and thoughts. <laughs> Look... I'm sorry for not laughing more, and it's my fault, not yours. What do you mean? Here we go. Look, the people here, they're good people. The people I fly with, they're good people. They know what we're doing is limited. Maybe they want to be in the fight as bad as I do, but this is what they have and they don't require more to be happy or more to be proud of what they have. So the only the only one unhappy here is me. Okay, yeah, so there is something in me that burns hotter and wants more or, or whatever. And I've never been able to extinguish that and frankly, I don't want to. But whatever that fire is, it would be absolutely stupid to let it just burn the house down. If I let it, then it destroys the good that I do have, or have done. It ceases being a fire that ignites and inspires and becomes a suicide bomb. The very thing we're at war against. I mean, fire is the literal spark of civilization. And our command of it is what separates us from the apes. But it's also the single most potent weapon of war and destruction. I'm sorry. Do you remember the first few weeks we had Honor? Remember how angry he was? We weren't mean to him. We fed him every day. We, we gave him his own large paddock. We gave him water and grain and hay and shade and attention. All the things you give a horse you love. We thought he hated us. But he didn't. He hated the world. Hated what it had done to him. Hated that it left him for dead for no reason other than circumstance. He hated that he had done nothing wrong and was going to be killed for it. He resented it. And we were just part of that world by existing. <laughs> but isn't that the kicker? He thought we were bad because we were part of that world. And we thought he was bad because of how he reacted to it. What a miserable way to live. But he isn't bad, and we aren't bad, and neither is the world. There's only 
chances and choices. The world is what it is, and I'm not going to change it. The good and the bad, they're not going away. Both will always be there. But I won't be. We all have a choice. I have a choice. I can choose to resent the world for the shit sandwich it dealt me, and contribute to the bad of it, or accept the world for what it is, and savor the good and in the process contribute to that. No, I won't change the world and I won't save it, but I could change mine. I've spent so much time worrying about missing out on life and chances that I've ironically been missing life and chances. Honor changed his mind. I want to change mine. I don't need a miracle. I, I just need to choose it. I think that's how he did it. cold here. She stood up from the couch. I have to get ready for work. Watch that video. I think you'll enjoy it. It was Honor's first time out of the gate. David said it was the best he's ever seen from a rookie. Said it was like he'd been doing it for years. Just fast forward to the end. Try not to get too worked up over it. He's still got a long way to go. Okay. I will. I love you and I miss you. We'll get through this and we'll watch our dopey pony run. I love you too. I just hope our dopey horse lives through it. <laughs> he, he will. If honor does anything, it's live. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. You too. Have a good day. The shivering camera stared at the starting gate as David walked honor in circles behind it. The colorless sky cast an ominous blanket atop the metal monster of gates, bars, springs, and latches. Honor's dark shape loomed behind the monster, moving from side to side. The wind beat against the microphone. The naked trees and yellow grass bristled in the frigid, lifeless wind. I could smell the cold, even 7,000 miles away. Then I noticed Honor's head inside one of the gates, a black mass engulfed by both melancholy clouds and metal overhang. His head froze in place. By way of his head, I could see his legs and hooves beneath the gate. On a color-washed canvas of winter, Honor stood, the only living thing in the cold steel ribcage of restraint. He stood focused and fearless, fearless of the metal holding him. Honor was alive. A horse in a stall is a horse in waiting. 
the gate crashed open. In the split second before the beast within reacted, those one or two frames etched into my brain. The metal monster revealed no chewed and digested corpse. The horse it had swallowed whole was just that. Whole. A vibrant living horse coiled low on his haunches. Honor's ears pinned against his skull and his eyes illuminated. In slow motion, his nostrils expanded and chest billowed. No scar was visible. No lameness was perceivable. Honor erupted. He is dangerous. They say a horse knows. Honor tore gashing wounds into the red earth beneath him, spraying fleshy dirt. The empty vastness of track dared him. Honor answered, sparring with the ground on weaponized, steel-armored hooves. Came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. Ferocity drove his outstretched face against the wind. He raged against the air itself. Honor defied the cold. The rumble of hooves overtook the popping of wind in the microphone as he crossed in front of the camera. I paused the video with honor and profile. Holy shit. His angry ears streamlined his head, yearning for more. If he doesn't get back up. Get up! Get up! Fucking save yourself! His legs stretched into an obtuse angle, nearly doubling the length of his body with only his left front leg planted firmly into the soft ground. What you can with what you have. I looked closer at the stilled image. David didn't even bring a crop. There's a story behind the story for this episode. Sort of a fourth wall break that comes in the second season. But the truth is, this chapter almost didn't get made. And because of that, the story almost never saw the light of day. I wrote six to, what, six to chapter 17 in just a couple months. And then in April 2015, I got to this chapter, got halfway through, and closed my laptop. And I didn't open it again for almost a year. I'm glad I finished it, though, because there's an important thread running all the way back through the book that comes to fruition here, and it's critical for the finale. How attitude and perspective shapes our perceptions and observations. What we objectively observed as a vile, hateful horse was in fact not. In the mirror to that, against his perception, his keepers were not evil, threatening abusers. Just electrons existing in a superposition, just waiting to be observed. Let that one sink in for just a second. Chance and choices. I truly hope the part of the country that has listened to this story thus far, all the way through, that they pause at the end of this episode, consider it deeply, and I hope they pay it forward. This episode, we're featuring VETS, V-E-T-S, that's Veterans Equine Therapeutic Services in Southeast Connecticut. They're a nonprofit that provides 
healing and therapeutic services to veterans with physical, cognitive, and emotional challenges. They have an equestrian program where, you know, you actually learn how to ride. And then they have therapy-focused courses. And best of all, they have archery classes. I'm not going to lie. It's why I chose them. They literally have an archery instructor on staff. So for you tree stand heroes out there, if you can't ride a horse and shoot an arrow, I'm not impressed. So go do this. It's badass. You can find them at vetsct.org. That's V-E-T-S-C-T dot org. I'm Tim Finley. This is To Live With Honor. Live fierce. This all ends. <laughs>